Okay, so we're reading from 1 John 4, verses 7 to the end of the chapter. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only one, his, his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has sent for us. God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Okay, well, let's um, pray and then we'll consider this rich passage for us before, before us this morning. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the time that we have now uh, to calm our minds and to think carefully about your word. We pray that you'd help us to understand uh, this passage in a clear way and also to be ready to put the things we learn into action. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how do you enjoy taking a test? It's not always the warmest idea, is it, to think about being put to the test. But at times, tests can be very important, can't they? They can show up the reality of something, or whether something's just a, a fake, or whether someone's just pretending. And that's important, isn't it? Every time I go and get on an aeroplane and feel the thrust of the jet along the runway and ready to take off, I'm actually very glad that the pilots have to take a test before they're at the controls of the plane. By passing the test, they can show that they, they really do know what they're doing and they're not just pretending. They aren't just people who've gone to the store and bought a nice navy blue jacket and one of those fancy pilot caps, uh, and they're just out there having a go. It's, there's a bit of assurance, isn't there, when people have passed a test. Well, in today's passage, John highlights 
a test for those who would not say they're pilots, but a test for those who would say that they're Christians. Uh, to show that they're not just pretending. They're not just like a, a pilot who's faking it, who's got the hat and the navy blue jacket, but he really doesn't know how to fly a plane. Well, the test in today's passage has to do with the topic of love. That's uh, one of the key words you might have seen come up through this passage. It comes up very regularly. And love is one of those broad words, isn't it? It's a, it's a word that has many sides to it, the word love. I love my wife, but not in the same way that I love eating lobster. It is true, though. I do love eating lobster. Uh, but it is a different kind of love to the love I have for Joanne. Well, John has a few things to say about love. And the first thing he says about love is there is a challenge for us to love one another. I'll pick it up in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. One of the things that must characterise God's church is love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the reason given is that love first comes from God. And so as followers of Jesus, as members of God's family, we're also called to love one another. Now John lays this challenge down uh, to the community at his time and the church at his time, particularly because some people have moved on and moved out of the church and those people were not marked by a love for the church or the fellow believers. But Jesus himself says this is a critical aspect of being seen to be God's people. He says in John chapter 13, verse 34, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So how is your love doing for your fellow Christians? How's my love going? Well, that morning tea, I put in a good effort to shake hands with lots of nine o'clock people who hadn't spoken to her for a while. Uh, and it's always the right thing to do, isn't it, to try to engage with your, your Christian brothers and sisters. I figured if I'm going to preach it, I'd better start living it. Um, but how's your love going for your Christian brothers and sisters? Is this church made up of a loving group of people? Or are we hard? Are we like those soldiers who uh, can kill in blood and get on with the job? Are we hard people or are we love people, loving people? Well, the challenge remains for us to be not hard soldier-like, but the loving kind, to love one another. Well, the second point in this passage is, what does the practice of love reveal about us? That's the second point in verse, chapter 4, verse 7b and verse, 7, uh, verse 8. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. The main point here is that if we are devoid of love, if we have no love, then it raises the question, are we even Christians? Have we been born again? Do we know God? the God who showed his love to us. 
And it's true, isn't it, that people can become part of the church. They can become part of church committees. They could be part of the PWA. They could be preaching at the front. They could be in the eldership. They could be in the committee of management in different Bible study groups. And at times they could cause all manner of heartache and problems because they're not even Christian people. I don't know if you've ever seen that kind of thing before. I've been in situations where I've seen it in someone's eyes and haven't seen any other evidence of love. There's a saying in the FBI, if it walks like a dog, if it sounds like a dog, if it smells like a dog, and if it looks like a dog, it's probably a dog. Now, if we did a bit of FBI work in the church... If we could see someone and there was no love, but if there is coldness, if there's hardness, if there's meanness, if there's nastiness and if there's malice, well, it raises the question, is that person who's only ever displaying these negative things and never any love, are they even a Christian? That's the question it begs. Well, as far as we're concerned, we've got to make sure that we are Christians and let our love be the thing, a sign that shows that we are, in fact, Christians. Well, John now moves from the topic of uh, our display of love as as a leading indicator, if you like, that we are Christians, to God's love and how God shows his love to us. This is how God showed, this is in chapter 4 verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God does show his love to us, doesn't he? It's a sacrificial love. He sends his only son into the world that we might live through him. Now the emphasis here being on God's only son uh, reminds us of the cost to God. We see something of that actually back in Luke's gospel when Jesus uh, heals the widow of Nain's son. In that passage, we're told that Jesus drew near to the gate of that town called Nain, where there was a man being carried out, and he's described this way, as the only son of his mother. And so we're seeing a highlight, or it's underscoring the fact that there's this big loss to the mother, because it's her only son. And that's the same expression that we're getting here, is that Jesus is the only son of God. And it expresses the cost to God in sending him. In God's love, he sends his son for our sake as the atoning sacrifice. The idea of the atoning sacrifice is not only that it's a a cancellation of sin, a, a washing away of sin and guilt. It's also the concept that God's righteous wrath, Jesus is the means, God provides the means, which is Jesus, to, 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 to turn aside God's righteous wrath. In the past, God had provided a means for doing that. It was the sacrificial system. 
God provided the means for his wrath against sin to be turned aside and it was the blood of bulls and goats. But we know from the writer to the Hebrews that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to deal completely with all sins for all time. And so God in his goodness has ended that time and he's sent his only son. So we see God's great love in sending his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And there's a, a wonderful order in God's love, did you notice? It's not that we loved God in the first instance, but that he loved us. We have been people who are born with a sinful nature. We're born in sin. And we show that we agree with that sinful nature by living out rebellious lives at times, don't we? But God, in his love, has prepared and established a plan for our salvation, even uh, when we've grown up as rebels against him. And it's by means of his son, the sin-bearing sacrifice, that we can enjoy life and forgiveness with. Well, this is a wonderful and important news. This is a high part of the Bible, isn't it, to see uh, God's love for us. It's an important one to grasp hold of because in life, when we face all manner of difficulties and hardships, at times we could be tempted to doubt God's love. But here we do see it very clearly. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And if you're a person who hasn't come yet to that point where you rely on this, you rely on this love from God, uh, rely on this atoning sacrifice of Jesus to have dealt with your sin, well then it's a good day to do it. It's a, it's a clear passage. We can see what God's done. All we need to do is to receive this gift through faith. That's the challenge for us. And if we have, we're to continue on that same faith. Well, John continues to speak about God's love and how it is made complete in us. In the next section, we're up to point four in the outline if you're following along. Our love is evidence that we dwell in God and God in us. That's what we see in chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. John appears to be speaking about completing the circuit of God's love. Uh, I don't know if you've ever grown up playing with electronics. Uh, as a kid, you could take a battery and some wires and a, and a little light globe and hook up the wires to one end of the battery and the other end of the battery, put it on one part of the light and then complete the circuit, couldn't you? Can I get a show of hands? Has anyone ever done that as a child? Am I the only one? Good. I had a hard time working out which part to put on the light first, but anyway, I solved the problem in the end. Um, well, I think this is the kind of concept here. You have a battery, a wire and a light bulb and then the circuit is completed. Well, our love, when we show love to our Christian brothers and sisters, it's in a sense completing the circuit that's been generated by God's love. We noted above, God first loved us. And in so much as we go on to live loving Christian lives, we complete, in a sense, 
the circuit of what he wants us to do because he lives in us by his spirit and he's changed us to be loving as he's loving. It's written here that no one's ever seen God, but the effects of God's love are seen in his people, aren't they? And so our love effectively completes the circuit of God's love. Well, at this point now, John digresses from the topic of God's love and he draws our attention to other evidence of being one of God's peoples, to being a Christian. For our love for our fellow Christians is a sign of our life with God, but it's not the only thing. Certainly, belief in Jesus is also a sign of our life with God. And we see that in verse 14 and 15. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. Other evidence of being a genuine Christian is not simply or not only our love for the brothers and sisters in Christ, it's belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that he didn't just seem to be a man, that he was actually the Son of God, fully God and fully man. That's a, a, a key aspect of what it means to be a Christian, to actually trust in the Jesus who is there, not the Jesus in our imagination. That shows one is an Orthodox Christian. But back to the topic of love, John affirms that Christians know the love God has for them. In verse 16, he writes... And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. What John's saying is that this is a message of encouragement. If you actually love your brothers, your, your Christian brothers and sisters, it's a sign of life. It's a sign that you're actually on the right track. Uh, the false teachers were trying to say that you know, love's no big deal. It's having some kind of special knowledge, which is the important thing. And that if you don't have that special knowledge, you don't really live in God. That's what their mantra was. But John's saying, no, no, if you're showing this sign of life that you do love your brothers, it, it is true. God does live in you and you in God. You are right with God. You are his people. John now continues to talk about love in relation to the judgment day and makes the point that as God's people, we have no need to fear the judgment day. That comes as a relief. Verse 17 and 18, he says, In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Some of these verses are a little tricky to understand and interpret, particularly that part which says, because in this world we are like him. It's hard to, there's a few ways that could be understood. But I think the essence of these verses is that we don't need to carry a, a terror or a fear of God as we head towards the judgment day. 
God's perfect love towards us has been made known uh, through sending his son. And Jesus has done the atoning work. He's been the perfect sacrifice. So we don't need to fear bearing our sin. And the fear of sin bearing on Judgment Day is driven out, isn't it? It's driven out by God's love already towards us. If we did fear the Day of Judgment, it's because we don't have a Saviour. We haven't really experienced God's love towards us. But as it stands, if we are Christians, if we're in Christ and we've received God's love, then we don't need to fear on Judgment Day. Well, in summary, on the topic of love, John writes that we test our beliefs by what we do and not by what we say. He points out that we would be liars if we did one thing and said another. In verse 19 and 21, he writes, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he's given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Here John's arguing from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, if you don't even love your Christian brother who you can see, what, you can really say you love God, really, who you can't see. That depends on faith. In this summary section, he's addressing the problem that people are claiming to be genuine Christians, and yet they don't love those in the church. Well, God's verdict here is that you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't say, oh yes, I love God, and hate your fellow Christians. The bottom line is that a lack of love for those in the church is the sign that these people are not right with God. These people are someone like who claims to be a, a pilot. Oh yes, I'm a pilot. But then when put to the test, doesn't know how to fly the plane. These people are claiming to be Christians, but then when tested about their love for the believers in the church, they fail the test. They don't love them. And they show that they're not Christians. So the challenge remains, whoever loves God must also love his brother. For us, the tone of this passage is uh, twofold. It's both an encouragement and it's a warning. It's an encouragement because if we're people who actually do love our Christian brothers and sisters, we do love those in the church, then it's a sign that we're on the right track, isn't it? That we do love is a result of God's love to us first, and we don't need to fear when it comes to the Day of Judgment. We know we've received God's love. Yet there's a warning for those who claim that they love God, but show that they've got hatred for those in the church. This is a sign that they're out of step with God and that they need to see that for what it is and turn back to God. They need to receive God's love themselves and become Christians and also avoid the terror on Judgment Day as well. Some might say they love God in theory, but in practice they actually deny it by failing to love God's people. Well, not so among us. Let us make sure that we're people 
who genuinely do love God, but also show this in the way that we live it out. Let us be those who test our belief, not so much by what we say, but by what we do. Because you test your belief, don't you, by what you do and not what you say. So let's show that we've received God's love by the way that we live. Let's ask God to help us in that, in that challenge now. Let us pray. Lord God, we do give you thanks for this good part of the Bible, which uh, reminds us very clearly of your love towards us. Lord God, we give you thanks that uh, it's that kind of love that you've shown in Christ to be our sin-bearing sacrifice, to deal with our sin that means fear is driven out uh, come the day of judgment. Lord, we give you thanks that uh, we can love our Christian brothers and sisters because you've changed us and you've changed our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be consistent in that and to do that well. Lord, we um, pray for our friends who are yet to have a living trust in Jesus. Uh, We pray that they might enjoy receiving your gift of salvation that comes through the work of Christ. And Lord, we um, pray for for, uh, a real consistency in our lives today, uh, that you would help us to be people who test what we believe by what we do and not simply by what we say. And we pray that you'd help us to show that we believe it by how we live. Lord, we thank you for this challenging passage this morning about love and we thank you for this time we share together. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.